0: definitely come back 20 to 40 percent of people will come back you know Jay abraham says if you approach them properly up to 60 percent will come back our data from Winback research shows an average of 32 percent people
1: return thank you for listening this is brett trainer your host for hardwired for growth a podcast where we strive to help entrepreneurs and business owners not only grow their businesses but scale them we do this by having conversations with industry experts and the entrepreneurs who have successfully scaled their own businesses. Statistics show that only 5% of all startups ever achieve annual revenue of a million dollars and less than 1% reach 10 million. Our mission is to help more than double the number of companies that reach each of those thresholds. The voice you heard a moment ago is that of Dan Fister. Dan is the founder and CEO of Strategic Winback. Strategic Winback is an innovative company that is focused on one specific problem, winning back lost customers. As you've heard me say in the past, there are riches in the niches. Dan recognized a problem that was not being addressed. He researched and launched a company to solve what seems to be a relatively simple problem, but yet the vast majority of companies, both large and small, are not addressing. His solution is applicable to organizations of any size. The advantage for startups and small businesses, they can incorporate Winback programs in their overall go-to-market process very quickly. Questions we answer today are the value and the impact of Winback on profitable growth, and hint, it's not marginal. How just a 2% improvement in customer attrition could reduce your overall expenses by up to 10%. How to implement the four step win back program in your own business, plus much, much more. Now, onto the intro.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Hardwired for Growth a podcast dedicated to helping entrepreneurs and business owners who are looking for sustainable and scalable growth strategies led by your host,
1: Brett Trainer. Hello, Dan. Welcome to the show. Hi, Brett. Great to be here. It's uh, my pleasure to have you here. I know we've uh, we've had some scheduling difficulties, mostly on my side, so I appreciate the flexibility and it's, it's great to have you here. So the one thing I always like to start off instead of a job description or, you know, a title, you know, if you're at a cocktail party, how would you describe to people what you do? I would, it's very simple. I would just tell them I help
0: people win back their past clients. That's where, uh, there's a huge amount of uh, untapped profit potential is, and it works for virtually any company that's got
1: old clients, past clients. Simple and sweet. That's the best way, right? To keep it, <laughs> keep it simple. What's that old yeah acronym? Keep it simple, stupid. So that's right. Yeah, Yeah. Big believer in that. So, all right. So why don't we start off? Uh, I know you've recently started a, a new venture, really geared and focused on th- this topic. So maybe give the folks a little bit of the background on the company. You know who you're working with. Uh, you know why you started it, and we'll we'll jump into Winback programs. Sure, sure. So
0: the genesis of the company. It, you know we can get into this in, in detail later on. But but the bottom line is that I had a company or I have a company. We generated. Fifty thousand customers, and you know we had a lot coming in the front end, but we also had a lot going up the back end. And WinBack basically became our biggest profit center, you know. And uh, so that really got me. That was that was a big deal. And there's so little out there on WinBack, you know. Uh, Jill Griffin, uh, she wrote a book in 1997 about it. There was a big study in 2010. But when I went to do my WinBack program, when I went to design it, there was just so little out there. So what I did is I went and I talked to, uh, uh, you know, sales trainers and, and, and you know, people who, and be, you know, big coaches for uh, more successful uh, businesses. And they basically said there's a big gaping hole here, you know, basically the uh, sales processes that are taught, you know, they're, they're, you know, how to get a prospect, how to convert the prospect, how to, you know, how to keep the client. And then after everything's done, you do a postmortem and that's it. There isn't something, there there isn't like a a, a big body of knowledge or best practices on winning back clients. So I thought, this is really interesting, really interesting to me. And I thought it'd be a, a
1: great thing to do in the business. So that is what I am doing. And that that's awesome. And, you know, it's it's funny that one of the recurring themes that I'm starting to hear more and more on the plus side of the kind of the success stories, if you will, of, of folks that have started companies, they've almost all been based on, you know, solving a problem, either a problem they were having with their business or a problem that they saw in a marketplace where you know, sometimes I think more of the the modern day entrepreneurs have been focused on, you know, I've got this really cool technology or this really cool product, and then they're going for to look for a problem to solve. Where, you know, to, to to your point on this win back, you know, I'm a big advocate of it. I'm going to be honest with you in you know 25 year career. I don't have a lot of experience doing this, so that's definitely one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the program. And even second, you know, you talked about you know if there's sales, there's conversion, there's lead management, but until I'd say maybe in the last two or three years, and predominantly driven by the the SaaS companies, you know, is customer success, right? So yeah. once we have them as a customer account management, and I'm not diminishing, there's probably a lot of companies that do a lot of really good work, but keeping customers is almost an afterthought or had been an afterthought. So no, I think, I think your business makes a lot of sense. I think you're going to be busy for a while. So congratulations to you on starting it. And why don't we jump in? So yeah, sounds good. I think intuitively a win back makes sense, but you know, maybe you could dig a little bit deeper into what, you know, what is a win back program? Sure. So basically win back is, is getting back a client that hasn't, hasn't done
0: business with you recently. So it could be somebody who went to a competitor, somebody who's been dormant or inactive for a while, or if you've got a subscription-based business, you know, the subscription has lapsed. So it's just, you know, a very simple definition. Somebody who's done business
1: with you but hasn't done business with you recently. Got it. Makes sense. And again, following a little bit of the intuitive, but I don't want to assume anything just based on the lack of, you know, companies that have these programs is, you know, why is it important? Is there benefits outside of just the revenue? Maybe you kind of walk us through what you've seen, you know, with your own company and now working with other customers. Sure. You know the why is it important? Well,
0: there's there's two reasons. One is uh, ROI. Winback offers just a phenomenal ROI. Enterprises I've seen seven x ROI or better, and SMEs routinely get thirty x to fifty x ROI. And so that's that's a big deal. And we've actually got a research arm. It's called Winback Research, and we uh, we're actually doing a benchmark study right now. I'm, I'm talking to a lot of people who've done Winback, and. What we find is that the ROI is, is, you know, 30 to 50x ROI is not unusual, not, not, not for an SME. Uh, we haven't talked to many enterprise clients, but, you know, if, you're, you know, if your listeners want to learn more about uh, the enterprise side, there's a, a great article in the March 2016 Harvard Business Review on, uh, on a massive uh, win-back campaign for an enterprise
1: Fascinating. Um, you said 30 to 50 X ROI, right? I'm yeah. just sure I heard that right. Yeah. Wow. And, and, and just to be clear, that's
0: revenue in, you know, investment in revenue, of, that's gross revenue. So sure. if you, you know, and, and you know, my clients, the, the people that I'm, I'm, uh, are in, you know, my sweet spot, You know, they tend to be service-based businesses, you know, professional services. So, you know, a lot of that, you know, revenue comes to the bottom line. So if you, you know, this is not something that's going to be a front burner if you're a a car dealership, for example, you know, and you've got 3% margins, you know. But if you've got, you know, 20% margins or more, it's significant. And, you know, there's one other side to this, that the sales can also be very substantial. And you know, I was talking to an SME just the other day who did 800k, and last week, uh, one that did 1.5 million. And you know, their sales managers winning awards, <laughs> because they do win back campaigns. You know, when you add, you know, the the regular biz dev, and you add this on top, you know, we we there's uh, one person I was talking to a couple of weeks ago, and she won the award for a company for the uh, for the country, and she hmm. was. She's a small. She's a small. Uh, she's in a small office, and they're beating out the uh, offices in New York and 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 LA. So it's a big deal. And yeah. we'll get into how how fast this can happen too in a, in a few minutes. I'm sure.
1: Yeah. So, no. You know, I, I. ROI think it's, in sales. It's 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 great. And you think about, you know, the cost of retaining customer versus the cost of finding new customers and rarely do you hear the cost of winning a customer back and you know it just makes sense and i think maybe that's a good point or a good time for me to ask you know obviously this works you started a business but part of me says well you lost the client for a reason is a win back program actually going to work because they left me so i would love your perspective you know on that question
0: they'll definitely come back 20 to 40 percent of people will come back You know, Jabraham says if you approach them properly, up to 60% will come back. Our data from Winback Research shows an average of 32% people return. And the reason they'll come back is that a lot of people didn't leave because you did something terrible. A competitor may have lured them away, and, you know, the grass is always greener Uh, on the other side. So they go and they try out that new company. And it turns out that all those promises really, you know, really the grass really wasn't that greener on the other side. Or perhaps you've got, you know, you you've got all your uh, ducks lined up in a row now, and you didn't so much maybe two two or three years ago. So you got these legacy clients that don't know, you know, that who you could service much better than you could have like three or four years ago. Some people they just need a change, you know, and uh, uh, you find often in, in uh, subscription-based companies where people will stop. And if you wait three or four months, a lot of people will come back. And it's just that, you know, they just they just need a break or need a change. So, and even if, if somebody leaves because of like a customer service issue or something like that, you know, we talk to a lot of heads uh, uh, of sales and they say that these things are, are, you know, surprisingly easy to smooth over if you, you know, do a proper outreach. And you can't do it right away, right? You have to wait a period of time. You know, we're dealing with people here, and there's you know, if there's, if there's hard feelings. Perhaps it'll take some time. And also, sometimes it's just like one rep. They didn't just like one rep. So, uh, you know, often what you'll see is you'll put a different rep on the account, and that'll open things right back up again with a fresh start. So there's all kinds of reasons why people will come back.
1: Yeah. And it makes sense. I'm just thinking from my own experience, I had one recently where I basically was saying, you know, I'm going to put this on hold. I'm not using it right now. And it'd been very easy for that business to say, okay, we appreciate, thanks for your business. But they said, Hey, can we just jump on a quick call? I'd really like to understand, you know, what you're doing, how you're not, why, and maybe there's some other ways you could leverage this that you're not thinking about long story short you know that 45 minute call later you know i'm now have them working on three projects for me so and i know that's not a win back but i would have been a candidate for their it was almost a win back just before i left if that makes sense
0: yeah yeah definitely definitely you
1: know i'm just kind of curious you know, how you discovered the the win back program. Was there a one a tipping point that within your own business that you just realized, hey, you know, we've got a lot of ex customers. Is there something we can do to get them back? What was your uh the genesis for you to discover the win back programs? Well, you know, so many people don't go after don't want to go after their, their former clients because
0: it's emotionally tough. And that's 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 where I was. So, you know, years ago we had this great client. We just, you know, starting off and it was a big mutual fund company and uh, they were worth six figures a year for us. And we had them for four years and the contract came up in year five and they passed and it was a financial hit to us. But fight but you know psychologically it's real kick in the gut you know we gave them great service you know we had a a great product you know where did we go wrong you know and i and i took it personally i actually took it as a personal failing and i had zero interest in in uh, trying to win these people back so i had like it, it didn't even occur to me that i could i could go back to them even a few months down the road and you know fast forward a few years and it's 2010 and I'm at a conference in Orlando, and I get some one-on-one time with Chet Holmes. And Chet Holmes was a hero of mine. Uh, he, uh, you know, he doubled the sales of at least a couple of Warren Buffett's companies, and. Uh, he gave me three pieces of advice. Uh, one was how, on how to grow my sales. One was about the opportunity with uh, past clients, and the other one was about my health. That's kind of funny—not funny, but sad. But yeah, I mean, why is why is Chad Holmes telling me about health? Well, it turned out I didn't know it at the time, but he had leukemia. Oh, yeah. And so uh, he died a few years after that. I think he died in 2012. He's only 55, and man, he's wow. just such a generous, wonderful man. Anyway. So after Chet told me, uh, you know, gave me ideas on how to grow my, grow my business, uh, my partners and I, we spent three months, we were just all over that. But we ignored his advice on winning back customers. And, you know, so you'd think that, you know, one of the world's top sales experts, Tells you there's an opportunity here, you do it. But you know, right. I, I didn't. I, I, I it was there was it was still like you know I jumped on that stove and I, I hit a, I hit a hot element and I wasn't going to go back there. So anyway, what happened was around 2016, I was watching this video with Chet and Jay Abraham, and Jay Abraham was a big is a big proponent of of win back, but it's just like one of a million things he does. and he does detail. And I just thought I thought you know why not do this? Why not try it? So what we did. Is we did a a small campaign and we generated 50k in eight days and it wasn't a ton of money but it showed me that that you know that people will come back and after that i was hooked so that's the genesis of it so so here it is 2016 uh it works we do a a follow-up campaign based on work i did with uh glenn livingston he's a he did uh surveying for uh, fortune 100 uh, companies and what he did is he he had like Something like twelve products in a row uh, that were all winners, and it was all based on a survey methodology. So I incorporated that into it. Anyway, blah blah blah. We became very successful with WinBack. We created a great process. It took a long time because there wasn't much out there, right? So we had to right. learn a lot of that stuff. And and so a lot of what I've learned, I've put into our process. And the idea behind the WinBack research benchmark study is to find what other people are doing, you know, find those up there. Are there any other, are there any big rocks that I'm missing so that I can, you know, give my client the, uh, the full spectrum of real advice, you know, that they need to win back their people.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I am definitely a big believer in not reinventing the wheel. (laughs) If somebody like yourself has found a really good process to or process from Canada to accomplish this, and that's what we're going to get into in a minute. But I guess that you know the the thirty to fifty x ROI, the you know twenty to sixty percent comeback win percentages. Why aren't more companies doing this? Are they just not thinking about it, or or have you seen? Is there a reason why is just nobody tasked with it? Well, I think that,
0: you know, as I mentioned before, I think it's emotionally tough. Okay. You know, when a client leaves, it sucks. It's disheartening. And, and emotionally, it's just easier to say, you know, they're gone and there's nothing we can do about it. But, you know, in my opinion, this is head trash. And it's very expensive head trash. You know, just lost today doesn't mean lost forever, not even close. And the truth is that, you know, a lot of customers will come back. You just need to approach them properly. And I think that's one thing. And there's another thing, and this is just, speculation. But, you know, I think that we don't go after past clients because it's not exciting. You know, chasing after a new client is exciting. True. And there's something called predatory drift. I learned this from Alan Weiss. He wrote like five thousand books. He was in one of them. I'm not sure which one, but he said, "You know, have you ever seen a dog in a park? And and the second he sees a squirrel, there's only one thing in that in his universe, and it's it's that squirrel. And there's only there's he has a prime directive, and he's got to go chase that squirrel. And that's all there is to it. And that's predatory drift. And you know, for for the dog, it's chasing the squirrel. It's fun and it's exciting. And uh, for some of us, chasing after a new prospect is fun, is fun and exciting. And uh, past clients, their, their old hat. And, you know, a third, pro, a third thing is there isn't a process out there being taught by the, by the big sales trainers, at least nothing that I've seen or nothing I've heard of, where, you know, here's the six things you need to do to win back a client. So those are my theories based on, you know, a lot of people I've talked to is that, you know, it, the, the, the main thing is it's emotionally tough. You don't want to go back there. You don't want to touch that third rail.
1: Yeah. And that makes, that makes sense. And right. Even though, you know, I believe that sales is a math equation, right. You've got the different revenue levers, right. You can what acquisition retention and expansion. But I think, you know, after our conversation prior to this, and then, you know, on the show today that there needs to be another one that's, I don't know if it's W for win back, but, or bring back or whatever that, that is, but I mean, it's substantial. And I think, you know, part I think is the the larger the company gets, the tougher it is because of the functional areas and what they're tasked with. With new, you know, new business is going after new business. Customer success is charged with keeping them. But I, like I said, within the, the training companies and the folks I've worked with and the organizations, one, it was never priority, and two, you know, it's rarely even even talked about. So I think your timing is is fantastic, especially for a smaller company that can build this into, you know, their sales process. I know sales people think, as you mentioned, is upfront and new, but it's really all a revenue process, right? So, you know, if you can plug the boat and keep the customers from leaving, but if they do leave, you know, build a, a system or process to, to win them back. So I just think it makes a ton of sense. Yeah, I I, I totally
0: agree. And it's not like, you know there aren't people out there doing it it's just nobody's that i've been able to find has been focusing on it when i was doing my research years ago it's like uh you know in 2016 you know, mckinsey said you could win back up to 10 past clients for the price of acquiring one new client wow and you know that wasn't a secret you know and and we all know that acquiring the cost of acquiring a client is one of the biggest costs in, in, in a pile of businesses you know unless you're you know sending as uh uh you know satellites into space you know, it's a, it's a big, big expense. So why wouldn't you do this? You know, and, and just like, you know, one more thing is it's the amount of time it takes to win back a, a, a past client. You know, think of all the investment, even uh, aside from the money, when you get a new client, right? You've, you've got to go, you got to create ads, you've got to place them, you got to do all that optimization there. Then you, when, when you get a prospect, you've got to nurture them, you got to educate them on your product, you've got to build trust. You know, you've already done that with past clients, and then with past clients, you know, you don't need to spend time and resources onboarding them. You already did that. I mean, the the, the time from from sale to you know reonboarding is is a fraction of what it costs for 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 a, for a new client.
1: You know, right. anyway. Oh. So there's just there's just so much to this. You mentioned kind of at the top who it makes sense for from a service company, but if you're an auto dealer. Maybe it doesn't make sense. Maybe it does. Is there kind of a general rule of, of who uh, this makes the most sense for before we actually dig into your process? Sure. So I think that let's just assume that you've got a, a good product and you give good customer
0: service and, and all that. So, the, you know, the, the the higher your your margins are, the better your relationship with your customers are, the more important this is. You know, if you're a if you're a consultant, if you're a, a trainer, if you're a coach, it's an it's a it's an absolute no brainer. Uh, if you're a SaaS company, it's a no brainer. You know, because SaaS companies are working, generally speaking, from like maybe sixty to seventy five percent margins. Now, if you're a car company or somebody with with very low margins, you know, you might know that. You know, the, the cadence of, of car buying is every seven years or the cadence of them coming in to get work done, you know, you know, to, you know the, the, the regular maintenance work after, after the guarantee is over is X. You know, when they, when they start dropping off, you know, phoning them up or, or, or dropping pieces of real value, keeping them engaged would be worthwhile. But, you know, really the no-brainer stuff is, is, the, is the high margin stuff or higher margin stuff.
1: That makes, makes, makes a perfect sense. So, okay. So let's, let's dig into, and I know not all customers are the same and I'm sure there's variations, but if I'm, you know, listening to you, Dan, and you know, I'm like, Oh, this makes a lot of sense. Now, how do I get started? What, what would you recommend as a good approach to, to building the program? And obviously I'll have contact information and, stuff in the show notes where, where people can go deeper, but, you know, just give us a good blueprint of, of how you would approach if you were starting a, which you are starting a, a, not starting a new company, but if you own your own company and you want to start a new win-back program.
0: Sure. There's four basic steps. The first step is research. The second step is re-engage. The third step is reactivate. And the fourth step is retain. And the first step is the most important one. And in this, basically what you do is you You know, go through your CRM, talk to your salespeople and identify all your lost clients and then segment them into groups. And the first group I would focus on is uh, the people with the highest potential ROI. So segment out that group and, you know, if if you've only got 50 past clients and they're all high value. Put them all in the group, okay you know right. unless they're, unless they, you know, there 's really low chance of uh, you know, you win the, winning them back because you 'd be really surprised sometimes some of the people that come back so anyway, so that 's first uh, segment your people based on potential ROI, then what you need to do is you need to learn three things about them you need to find out why they left, what it 'll take to get them back, and what their biggest pain point is in regards to your service and you know we can talk about digging deeper into that later if you wish but but the bottom line is your reps should be able to answer all these questions, you know, or if it's your own business, you should be able to answer these questions, at least for, for higher uh, higher value accounts. So that's the research part, right? So you get those you get those three things down. Now, the next step is re-engage. And, you know, obviously, the key to re-engagement is having a par- powerful message, you know, something that really piques your prospect's interest. And, you know, because, you know, the better the message, the more likely it is they'll read your next email or take your call. And you create this messaging from everything you learned in the research phase. You know, so if there was, uh, if you knew why they left, you would address that. If, uh, if you've created a special offer to bring them back, you would talk about that. You know, all that kind of stuff. Okay. And, and what we find is that the more you stack this in the initial email, the better. So if there's five reasons for them to re-engage, five strong reasons you know, maybe your service offering is, is better uh, with regards to a specific pain point. You know, you've, you've, you, you know you've, you've made your service better, whatever. Stacking all of those things in the first email is a big deal. It kind of sets the stage. And then when you start, leave, when you start phoning and leaving voicemail, you can make specific ones about each, each, each thing. So basically, you do the research, then your re-engagement uses what you had in the research or what you uh, got together in the research. And then the next thing is the actual reactivation. And this is where you start selling. And this is where you start asking for a sales conversation. Now, you can actually ask for the sales conversation, you know, in the very first outreach. But if if your prospect, uh, you know, requires uh, significant warming up, if they've been away for a while or if if you broke up on bad terms, you know, you might need to to extend the the re-engagement phase and maybe deliver a bunch of value based on their, their biggest pain point. That your that your service uh, handles. The next step is the retain part. So you ran your cam- you've run your campaign, and you know a certain number of people have come back. But, but the, the big thing is is that you have learned a lot about why people left, and you learned what it what what brought them back, right? So what you can do is you can take that knowledge and you can incorporate it into your retention protocols. This is a big deal, a really big deal, actually. And so, after you've gone through those four steps, it's rinse and repeat. And what you'll find is the first cycle is going to deliver all the really low-hanging fruit. You know, there's it, it'll be these people who, you know, they they left you and they're embarrassed to come back, or you know, because you know they feel like they kind of left you, you know, so they feel bad. And and the people who you know went went for went with your competitor and they're not happy, and they you know, they you know, you, you, it's those, those just basically, like I said, slow hanging fruit. Sure. So, so, now it's time to do it all over again. But what you do is you want to use everything that you've learned in the first in the uh, in the first thing, right? You're gonna have emails that one email that worked better than another. You're gonna have one voicemail that got got more conversations than another. You know, there's gonna be something. You know, you'll you'll ask people, you know, what decided, what made you decide to come back, and that'll be a the whole nother thing. You know, might be something you never expected, like one of the things you you didn't believe was a, a you know a big point. So that's the the rinse and repeat. I can go into more details and go. Why you should rinse and repeat or the benefits, or we could just drive on
1: so. yeah, I may take you back just for my own <laughs> historical- pers- so i I love this by the way, I think it's it's fantastic, and companies of all sizes should think about how they can incorporate this into their business and you know one of the things I've always been a big proponent of is the customer insights. I just don't think enough companies spend the time to really understand why. I their customers buy from them or how their experiences with the company. So going back into the research, you know, and again, maybe this is a larger company versus a smaller company where what the rep says, why they left, or the account manager says why they left may not actually be the reason. So is there a value in using either a third party or an unbiased resource to reach back out to these customers to find out why they left or, is that starting to eat in you see what I'm saying? what's the balance of understanding from the customer why they left versus what you may have documented, or is that part of the initial outreach is to get that feedback? Well, you get your initial feedback from the rep, right? I right. mean the rep and the and the and the customer
0: service manager, customer service people, you know, you should be able to get a pretty good picture. Now, you know, if you've got a rep that, that didn't do a good job, of course they're not gonna say that. You know, right. they're, <laughs> they're nice. But but the thing is, is that, you know, the sales director or, or, or the marketing manager, whoever's putting this program together, you know, should, should have a pretty good idea of, you know, which reps are keeping people best and which, which ones aren't. And they might want to go and take the lead on some of those, that reps win back. Just to, you know, they might do the outreach thing, you know, like, uh, you know, we're, we're doing X, Y, and Z, and, you know, I'm the, I'm the new sales director here, or I'm the sales director here, and just getting input, you know, getting input like that. But, you know, what we've also found is, is sometimes they'll just take a sales director to sales director, will go after the top 10 or 15 top ROI uh, clients, and they will actually do the, uh, do the outreach.
1: Okay, which is a man. You, you almost answered my next question before I've asked it. Is you know, I know obviously in a smaller organization where sales and service and success may be one and the same. But where have you seen the most success from a reactivation, if you will? Is it coming from the sales rep, or I think you mentioned you had some success with the, the sales managers? Or I'm, I'm sure there's not a one size fits all. But just in general, have you seen some themes about how that works best when when who's making the outreach? Well, the the, the basic idea uh, that that we've
0: seen that generates the highest ROI, and of course this is going to be different for every company. So I'm just going to give you. Just kind of like an overview. Sure, is that the marketing manager or the sales manager takes the lead? They're the one that that leads the research. They're the one that interviews the sales reps, customer service manager, all of these people. Okay, so there's one person that takes the lead. They're the one that crafts that that decides what the big points are for the re-engagement, They're the ones that decides the script for the voicemail. They're the one. Uh, they're the ones that decide. You know, like I said, what's an email and everything else so basically sales manager takes the lead creates the email and the and the cadence and then the sales reps do the follow up that's what we find i mean it's, i mean of course it's dead
1: obvious right but right
0: i'm just i'm just telling you you know maybe there's 12 other ways you could think of doing it
1: well that's what we find works the best yeah. And like to my early point, why reinvent the wheel? If you're seeing success, then this is, would be a great place to start. And if tweak or modify it based on, on the program, then, then do it. So I guess that leads into my, my next question is what, what is that cadence you had mentioned the first time through, there's definitely some low hanging fruit. You're going to get the folks that were maybe embarrassed or wanted to come back, but didn't know how to say it. You gave them an opening, their back, and so when I think about this program, is this a quarterly, a monthly, an annual? And again, I know one size doesn't fit all, but just in general, from what you've seen, what's a a good baseline cadence? Well,
0: in our research, we find that uh, doing a campaign every four to six months yields significant results. Okay. What we found, or what we found in general, is that if you reach out, say in month one, and say it's a one-month win-back program, and then you reach out again in month six, and then you reach out against, again in month, in month 12, what we found is pretty steady results, right? So there's people who bought, so you got your low-hanging fruit in, in, in month one, and then you nurture, nurture, nurture based on their biggest pain point, right? Like helping them walk down the road right. uh, to solving that big pain point, whatever that is. And then now a bunch more people are, now they've got. Now you've got a whole group of people who have a better impression of you. Uh, you, and 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 a lot of them will come back. So, so what we found is that oftentimes the second campaign is the biggest revenue generator, because what you're what you're doing is you've just reengaged people for another four to six months. Plus, uh, you've got a bunch of people who had. Who you've lost in that last six months? So you get a bit of a double whammy there. You get a bit of a twofer, and and what we find is uh, in our cadence we, we basically get the the same kind of revenue every six months. Okay. And we've been doing this since 2016. Now you know, of course, you know we've we've put a lot of time and effort into you know really optimizing it, but that's you know that's that's the short answer.
1: Yeah. It, now I, I think it makes a lot of sense, especially if you haven't even approached this type of a program before. And again, this is a little bit, maybe not off, off topic, but then the learnings, I would hope that what you learn from the win back and you get folks back that you can apply that to your current customer base and maybe reduce the churn a little bit because you've learned and got some insights from the folks that have left that maybe you can be a little more preemptive with the folks they're your current customers, right? I mean, that seems logical. Hundred percent. You put this. You put what you learn into your retention protocols. Okay.
0: And you know it, it. It's just massive. And of course, you put what you learned into your next campaign. And you know, Joe Griffin, that she's she's the one who wrote the book in nineteen ninety seven. She said, "This is the this is the, there's two two critical parts." of these campaigns. One is the research, so you know how to re-engage them properly. The second one is taking all the learnings and putting them into your next campaign and into your attention
1: protocols. makes so much sense. It seems so intuitive, (laughs) kind of embarrassed that I haven't done it in my previous career. I just, like I said, the the logic, it just makes so much sense. And I I think you're right. It is the emotional aspect. Well, we're better off (laughs) at the bottom. They're not going to buy from us because, you know, we did what we could. And Instead of thinking about it the other way, that said, hey, if you've ever been in that situation and you've left or tried a different product and haven't gone back, and you're just waiting for that prompt, this is the type of campaign. So, uh, I think this is this is gold and very valuable, especially for companies that are, I don't want to say struggling for every dollar, but where every dollar counts as they're starting to grow. You know, build this into you know kind of the DNA of your your go to market organization.
0: I, I totally agree it's huge, you know, When you know, one of the instinctive reflexes that we've got, you know, when, when, when things get a little tight is to cut costs. And I don't have the, uh, the people who did the study off, uh, in front of me, but what they said was if you can reduce attrition by 2%, it's the equivalent of cutting costs by 10%. Wow. Um, and, uh, how true that is, I don't know, but they, they wrote a book around it. So I assume there's a lot to it, but the point is, is that, wow simply by taking what you learn, you know, finding the, the blind spots in your, uh, in your company where you're losing customers that you, where you never realized it before, you know, that could, re- that could significantly reduce attrition right there. So what you could learn in the first, in, in the first cycle of, of this, is, it could, could be, could be
1: tremendous. Yeah. If you take advantage of it, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. With all of it. No, I love this. I mean, I, th- I think it's a gap in kind of what, what I've been thinking about with, you know, the kind of the customer insights up front, right? You, you learn why they're buying, you incorporate that into the selling process and your engagement with marketing and they go through the onboarding process, what they liked and what they didn't like. And, you know, from a success standpoint, are we doing enough outreach? Are they using the product enough? You know, are they engaged with the product? And then when they fall off, you know, that's where the the information loop tends to fall off as well. But if you do a reactivation campaign, you know, to me, it's a perfect way to close that loop. And if you're feeding it back to the other organizations, then that could be really powerful. Oh, it's, it really is. And just think of it, how many companies, even
0: after they get a client, do they, does somebody follow up and say, why did you choose to buy from us? You know, we put 14 things in front of you. Why did you choose to buy from us? And it's the same thing. And so how much more difficult is it to ask why who's left to you to ask, why did you leave us? You know, I mean, who's going to do that if they won't even do the other end.
1: So saying. true. No, it is so true. So yeah. man, are we, are we missing anything else? I know I want to be respectful of your time. And this, like I said, was a new topic for me, but I've got a lot of value. So I'm sure the audience is going to receive a ton of value from this. So did we, do we miss anything out of the process or do we, we give it a good coverage? I think we gave it a good coverage. I, I I just want to underline that,
0: you know, doing a second campaign is a, is a big deal. And even co- I've, you know, I've talked to a lot of companies who, who do this and I find that so many of them do it once and that's it, you know, and they don't do more like that, that company I told you with the, uh, the, the, the sales director won the national uh, sales price. Right. The company didn't even incorporate it into the other, into their other offices. Really? Okay. Yeah. So, so you know what I mean? So there's, there's a, big barrier to entry. And I think that the barrier to entry is emotional.
1: Yeah, no, I think you're right. And you know one of the, the topics and themes that I keep coming back to with smaller companies, the ability to not only innovate, but to pivot quicker than some, maybe their larger competitors or folks already in the industry, that if you can build this into your processes, it's just a you know, what was your, I'll have to dig up that stat, you know, 2% retention saves 10% of cost, which is huge as you're, you're trying to grow your business. So no, I think, I think this has been fantastic. I really, really appreciate, you know, you taking the time to, to educate us, but before we leave, I do want to give the audience a chance to get to know you a little bit better uh, personally. So if you're ready, I'd love to hit you with our, our closing time questions. Definitely. Go for it. Awesome. All right. So what is an experience that really helped shape who you are today?
0: When I was uh, 28, I uh, worked
1: in commodities and I
0: worked on the floor of the stock exchange (laughs) and I decided that life wasn't for me. So I sold everything I had and I traveled around the world until I ran out of money. And uh, what that taught me was that you can come back and reinvent yourself and the world will continue. So if I don't know if that makes sense, but you know, after that I was able to, I, I never worried about losing my job. Uh, I worked in, uh, in a couple of different office jobs before I went
1: out on my own. And so I lost all fear of that. So that was a, that was a big deal. Everything will work out fine. That's what I keep saying. Everything does tend to work out. And it's kind of uh liberating, isn't it? And freeing to know you can just attack what you want to work on. I know you still have to pay the bills and other things, but I think that is so true. And so many people are tied to what they're doing today for that that exact fear, right? So what a great experience. How long were you able to travel before you ran out of money? Just a little just a little bit over a year. Just okay. a little bit
0: over a year, but uh You know, I actually, I actually ran into a guy that I played hockey with when I was 13, when we were traveling and he did the, he did the exact same thing. And, you know, I ran, I ran into him, uh, I'm in Toronto, Canada, about two years later. And, you know, he was a a law professor uh, when he came back, you know, he, he landed right back on his feet, you know, so
1: life works out, right? Life works out just fine. Yeah. Oh, that's great. All right. So, number two is a two-part question. One, and I gather by a lot of our conversation, you're you're an avid reader, at least of you know research. <laughs> you know what's what's one of your favorite books? It either could be something you've read recently or one of your all-time favorites. And then I'm going to ask you uh, something else that you would highly recommend.
0: Sure. I think that the uh, the number one book for me is. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. So while you're yawning about my choice, I just want to defend it and say that there's there's principles in life that you know where they, they put you on the right path. You know, like one of the you know you know Stephen Covey talks about you know put your put your ladder up against the right building, and basically. There are so many different things you can do, and as soon as you start down a path, you put tremendous, you know, amount of time and effort into it. So just make sure that you're you're walking down the right path. And, and Stephen Covey has seven of those, so that's why I that's why I picked that book.
1: Not yawning, I love that book. So okay, great, <laughs> so good. All right, so pivoting off that a little bit, then you know, what's one thing either professionally or personally that you'd highly recommend to the audience?
0: Meditate. I know yep. that sounds, uh, uh, I would have never said that before, but I heard Tim Ferriss and Ray Dalio and other people like that talk about, they do the same type of meditation I do. And uh, it got rid of my uh, insomnia, got rid of my headaches. It's helped me a lot. Uh, you know, it doesn't work for a lot of people. It's, it's, it's a time commitment, right? It's right. Like 40 minutes to two hours a day, depending on how you do it. But for me, it's a big deal. And, and you know, just, just the, just to just totally shoot my own point down. All my all of my friends who I suggest to do this type of meditation, I'm the only one who still does it. So when I saw Ray Dalio, you know, I think he's a is he still the 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 the, the biggest fund manager? Anyway, whatever he uh, and Tim Ferriss, you know. So so they gave oh, yeah. me hope that uh, that
1: uh, no, I don't think you're lot of value. I consume a lot of podcasts, you know, both. The personal and, you know, business and, and, and professional, and that it's definitely one of the, the themes is the, the meditate. And they said even as little as, you know, five to 10 minutes a day, if you can just find a way to clear your head and, and, and focus, there's going to be some advantage and you might be a little more extreme with the, the 40 to 40 minutes to two hours, but yeah, I think you'd find a lot of highly successful people that would validate your, um, your recommendation.
0: Yep. Yep. And, and you know, like, just, just one thing about this that that's really kind of key is that you get, when, you're, when your mind is clear, a bunch of ideas come to you that, that wouldn't normally come to you. You know, Edison called it sitting for ideas, you know, and when your mind is clear, there's all kinds of obvious stuff that just smacks you across the face. A, a friend of mine actually created a strip bond market based on uh, an, an insight he got from meditating, you know, and that made him, I don't know how many millions, but a pile. So there you go.
1: There's your ROI. There's your <laughs> ROI. <laughs> exactly. No, I, I agree with that. Definitely downtime is when you come up with your best ideas. Like for me, it's early in the morning. It may not be meditation, but it's super quiet. And, you know, I find those first two hours to be the most impactful of the day for the most part. Not that this isn't, but really from getting the priorities down, new ideas, you know, that that early morning helps me. So maybe that's my next step in the evolution is actually put a little more focus or structure into the meditation. Yep. Yep. All right. It's on my bucket list now. So perfect. <laughs> and then last but not least, you know, this what we call last call. If you could only have one more beverage, you know, think of it as your last meal. What would it be? It would be a leffe. A what? Uh, uh, beer, it's uh right? it's a, it's a, it's a Belgian
0: beer. Okay. And it's uh uh when I, was, when I was traveling, you know, I'd be drinking Corona and Heineken and stuff. And then as soon as I had this stuff, it's like, this is beer also? I mean, the other stuff <laughs> isn't pretty. So anyway, that's, that's what it was. And, and we got uh, fortunate that they, they sell it in, uh, in Canada now. So that's, uh, let's say, it, L-E-F-F-E. L-E-F-F-E. Yeah, it's an Abbey, Abbey
1: beer from Belgium. It's actually got flavor compared to not that I'm dissing the the light beers, but I do like and enjoy a beer. That's, that's got flavor. IPA's got a little more hops. Yeah, if yeah. You can have it, enjoy it. Oh, that's yeah. fantastic. Exactly. Awesome. Well, Dan, I really, really appreciate your time today. I think this was super valuable. And if anyone's interested in learning more about you and the work that you're doing and the research that you're doing, where, what's the best place for uh, people to find you?
0: If they can go to strategicwinback.com, you'll find a, a case study there that that gives a nice simple cadence. And there's also a calculator there. And basically, it's an ROI calculator, an ROI winback calculator, and sales calculator. And it's very simple. So it'll give you a good idea if, uh, if winback is for you. You asked that question earlier, I should have mentioned the calculator.
1: Okay. then. And I'll make sure to add that in the show notes so people can click to, to find a link to it. So perfect. Great. Thank perfect. you. Awesome. Well, appreciate your time. Keep us posted on how the research is going, and you know, hopefully, a lot of the folks listening today are in, incorporate win back programs into to their organization, and you know, enjoy some of that increased ROI. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> All right, Dan. Appreciate it. Have a great rest of your day. Great. Thank you so much, Brett. Appreciate you having me on. No problem. Take care. Bye bye.
0: You've been listening to Hardwired for Growth. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player or visit BrettTrainer.com. That's B R E T T followed by his last name, T R A I N O R.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.